The moment I knew COVID-19 was serious. We had already been sent home and we were just doing our online work. I was actually planning on going to Disney. I was in Brazil studying abroad. We began to see clips on the television from Wuhan, China airport, of people taking temperatures and screening passengers. They canceled all my in-person classes and moved them online. My niece had been born that January of 2020. And then my brother and his wife texted out, we're going to stop visits. You're not going to be able to see her. That's when I knew it was kind of serious because I was now a threat to my niece. Friend that we were with, he just stops in his tracks and he's like, guys, the parks are closing on Saturday. But at that moment, I really knew it could not be contained. And it was a really scary moment. When was the moment that you knew the pandemic was serious? Was it when coronavirus turned from a joke about getting sick from beer to an actual travel ban? When your spring break turned into a remote semester or you were subject to quarantine? Did it hit you when your Wi-Fi couldn't handle everybody home at once or when the family dog just got used to seeing you every day? Join host Gabby Rubino, me, Julie Heaney, and our many interviewees as we explore our moments of realizations in a sea of uncertainty, we uncover some unlikely truths about ourselves, and we discover that throughout debilitating isolation and fear, we weren't as alone as it seemed after all. This is Me, Us, You, a student-produced podcast at Susquehanna University. Welcome. Hello, my name's Julie, and the moment I knew that COVID-19 was serious, that things were getting real, was over spring break of 2020, when I was denied the malaria vaccination that I needed for my study abroad trip. As I sat in a strangely sticky, very uncomfortable doctor's office chair, my provider explained to me why she didn't feel comfortable giving me a vaccine and pulled up charts and data to prove why she thought I was not going on my summer South Africa trip. On the drive home from the doctor's office that day, unvaccinated and confused, it hit me full force. Things weren't going back to normal by the summer. And in that moment of exasperation and fear, I thought I'd never want a vaccine so badly. Needless to say, the coming year would prove me so wrong. Right then was the beginning of this general feeling of limbo between anxiety and despair that the COVID-19 pandemic has held me in. As I was bombarded by emails and news and university announcements, it felt like nothing was going to get better. I was lucky enough to only be a first year at the time that school was moved online. But the shift away from campus left me grasping at a sense of normalcy that I had just begun to feel in college. It wasn't pretty, and it's still not. The feeling of loneliness and desperation hasn't been uncommon for the past year, which, in a twisted way, is the best thing about it. I guess it's better to feel awful together than feel awful alone. And through this collection of anecdotes from real, tangible, breathing, bleeding, and feeling humans just like you and I, I hope you can feel the prize that is human connection that we've all been missing.
Today, I'd like you to hear about the moment that my best friend knew coronavirus was serious. My best friend Reva is an international student from the UAE, and this global pandemic has forced her to travel around the U.S. from New York, Pennsylvania, Texas, Oklahoma, to the UAE, and where she currently is right now in India with her parents. When I reflected on this idea of a moment of realization during the pandemic, it interested me that every individual likely had their own niche, different, or similar explanation of their own rotten epiphanies. This pandemic has isolated us into echo chambers of our own human experiences, and rather than dwell on how rough that makes us feel, it's worth a shot to turn our year of separation into an opportunity for connection. For me, it started with someone who was right by my side as the pandemic began. Reva certainly didn't expect her visit to Binghamton, New York to last more than a week. She also probably didn't expect to have to take classes through her laptop in my living room for a few months, but that's what happened. I invited Reva to come stay at my house for spring break in 2020 because she's my best friend, yes, but also because the alternative was her staying on campus for a week, and who doesn't love a home-cooked meal once in a while? So we started the week of spring break together in the gloom of my hometown. And then we started the unexpected second week. And then after moving some stuff out of our freshman dorms, we resumed the rest of our semester from home. Reva stayed until around the middle of May when she went to go visit family and work in Oklahoma and Texas. And during her visit, we stepped on each other's toes for sure but we were also there for each other through some pretty tough times. Like myself, Reva hadn't done much deep reflecting on the pandemic until recently, so I felt it was important to ask her this question. When was the moment she knew that shit was getting real? It was definitely when, like, I wasn't able it was, I think it, it started when, like, we weren't able to go back on campus, and then summer hit, and I wasn't able to go back home, so I, I think there were, like, stages, and it just escalated, like, got worse and worse. So what I'm hearing is that it was kind of like a go with the flow, we'll get through it now and think about it later type of thing. There wasn't, like, a specific, oh shit moment for you. Uh, no. I don't think so. And I think the reason is because I had you. If I had been like at home or like living with my uncle in like Virginia or something, it probably would have hit me because I would have had like no social life. So I would have just been like, oh crap, like this is, this is real. But I had you. So, and it was like meeting new people too. So I was kind of busy with like college and like adapting to your family's lifestyle. Tell me about not being able to see your parents during this global pandemic and how hard was it? It was definitely tough, but when it wasn't it wasn't hard until like time started to pass cuz I did see them like three 
or four months before COVID really hit us, like during winter break. Um, so it wasn't too hard, but at the same time, like I was concerned about my family's safety. And like, I know my parents were concerned about mine. They were worried about like, if I'm okay with where I'm staying. And I was, it was a great place, loved it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, it was difficult, but um, I guess we just kind of adapted to it at some point. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with moms being moms too, right? <laughs> I remember that because I remember us being stuck at my house after second semester and we had just come back from college. I felt like I was so grown up and so adult that I could take the virus seriously because I was 19 and I knew what was going on in the world and I was almost done with my first year of college I felt like an equal with my parents because I had this college experience and I was 19. But honestly, as the virus developed, I felt like I just wanted to crawl into a hole and cry like a baby, you know? <laughs> Tell me about talking to your parents about the pandemic as it developed and you were both kind of in different countries. It was... It was weird, actually, because when I traveled back um, during winter break of 2019, that was when, like, COVID hit and, like, there were cases. And I went on an airplane at an airport where there were people. And that's the time, that's around the time of, like, the Chinese New Year and stuff. So there was, like, a lot of, like, people visiting from China. So my mom called me up and she's like, there's been like cases in China and it's like spreading like crazy and that sort of freaked me out because I was like oh no what if I I got like you know close to someone who might have had COVID or something but that was like that was the one time that we like that was the first time we talked about it and I was like you know what maybe it's fine and I would usually travel like during that time and the Dubai airport is so pretty during Chinese New Year because they have like the lanterns up and like all the decorations and I was so hyped I was like this is great no I really wanted to see this um but yeah I mean I wasn't freaked out at the time but then my mom called me up and freaked me out later so Okay, so I understand that your international experience doesn't reflect that you've been to a million different countries, but you have traveled to India, the UAE, and within the US within the span of from the first reported COVID case in December until now. Did you notice any differences in the way that countries were handling COVID protocols? I think I know for a fact that they started earlier than we did. Because do you remember when, like, CDC told us, like, we didn't need masks? And we went to the mall. And we went. We went to the mall. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely started earlier for them. Also, and I think it depends on what state we're talking about. Because when I went to Oklahoma later on, um we never wore masks at all and I was like I because I was living with like a family I didn't know so I didn't want to be the only one like 
also at work because I had a job at like this ice cream shop and they didn't like force us to wear masks until like mid-July I want to say so even then I would still sometimes wear a mask um but but yeah I think it depends on what state we're talking about because I think New York was pretty strict about it and Oklahoma wasn't um but India definitely started a lot earlier so did the UAE they both went into like I mean that's all I know like I don't know about the other countries but um they did go into lockdown for like way earlier your job was a drive-through but also there was indoor seating it was like an ice cream shop and um burger joint slash supermarket but yeah we've had like people come in through the drive-through and they're like yo, like, we have COVID. Is there any chance you can, like, give us, like, the supermarket goodies through the drive-thru? And we're like, no, get out of here. Looking back, I'm like, dude, wear a mask. (laughs) But um, when I was, like, there, there, like, present, I was like, I didn't want to be looked at differently. Yeah, it's such a different atmosphere. And yeah, yeah. Even, like, working with people that you don't know that well. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. I don't want them to think I'm stuck up. But at the same time, you still have concerns for your health and safety and everybody else's mm-hmm. health and safety. What's something you specifically remember from our quarantine together? Do you have a favorite memory or just something that's unique to the experience that like reflecting on it? You're like, oh. I mean, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I have a ton of those, um, so many memories. I think just like getting to know the Heenies and like spending time with you guys like was like the greatest experience because you've like grown to be like, like I said, like a second family to me. Um, if I had to say my favorite memory, it would probably be Easter when we went on like the egg hunt that was really cute oh wait no actually it would be when we celebrated my birthday that was still like six or seven months away that was that was probably my favorite memory because your mom didn't want me to feel left out because all of you guys had birthdays while we were together so yeah that was my favorite memory that was super super cute that was a good time that was a good time We had a birthday cake for Reva, but her birthday was in, or is in November, and it was, it was May. (laughs) It was back May. (laughs) So we talked about the moment that you knew everything was not the same. Everything, something was serious. um, And that can be such like a like a chaotic feeling um just like feeling like a loss of control I know you and I had different experiences even though we were so close together at that time we had different experiences of realization um but I'm curious also about the moment you knew that everything was going to be okay and if this hasn't happened yet do you think there's something that would make you feel this way um well I Well, when we had, like, 
proper information about it, like proper like rules about like six feet apart and like masks and everything, I kind of just realized like maybe if we just follow those rules long enough, it'll be back to normal. But even then I was like super worried about the future and stuff. And I don't think I really felt like everything was gonna be okay until until recently when our school sent out the email that we were going back like in person and normal and there will be no online classes. I think that was exactly what I knew. Like, all right, things are slowly starting to look pretty good. So that was the moment. That's such a good moment. That was like last week. (laughs) The moment I knew things were going to be okay was last week. So tell me, why do you think that you don't have a concrete moment that you knew everything was serious? Um, I think it's mainly because, um, because I was like, because I think we were all just like so like caught up on like trying to adapt and like follow the guidelines and just like basically yeah like adapt to it like checking in with your families and like making sure they're okay and I guess I never really like took the time to like think about when everything was going to be okay do you have a moment I do what's your moment um okay so my moment is really cheesy Okay. Because I thought, okay, I thought I didn't have a moment, okay? Mm-hmm. I thought I was like you. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But no, okay. The moment I knew everything was going to be okay was when we both got the words, it's not permanent, tattooed on our bodies. Because if you get the words, it's not permanent, tattooed on your body during a global pandemic, and the pandemic is permanent. You're stupid. That's, you're stupid. And we're not stupid. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much when I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when, when I realized that I had, in fact, gotten the tattoo. I think... Well, we both know that stemmed from, like, that affirmation of it's not permanent that we were saying to each other um, over the entirety of spring break, the rest of spring semester, literally until now, because guess what? It's still global pandemic season. Um, That was probably insensitive. Maybe I'll cut that out. Um, So I think, like, that's not something I would have um repeat it to myself if you were not in my life so I am grateful when I think of you during that time I think of this person looking at me going it's not permanent dude and I'm like okay maybe I won't freak out as much today because Raven told me it's not permanent so um it's the little things it was it was really the little things that got me through the pandemic and I'm super thankful that I had you by my side because 
you were definitely a part of like the reason why I got through it same thank you dude thank you for coming on and telling your story The dawn of coronavirus restriction and lockdowns meant that the class of 2020 for both high school and college didn't quite get what they expected. To talk more about this, I sat down with Erin, a current first year at SU. You were a high school senior when the pandemic hit. Um, can you tell us about the moment that you knew coronavirus was serious? So for me personally, I had a little bit of a different experience because I am from a small rural town in Southern Ohio. So we didn't really see the effects of Corona probably until later March, early April. So for us, it wasn't quite as real because it hadn't hit home yet. Um, So it was kind of more, you know, we're hearing reports and we're seeing all these things in other states and in the other countries, but we didn't really have any experience. And my dad uh, works as a nurse practitioner at the local hospital, and now he works with COVID patients on a day-to-day basis, but I would say once he started seeing COVID patients every day, that's when I probably realized it was serious, um, because then we were starting to see like it actually hit home. Do you know about when he started seeing COVID patients on a day-to-day? I would say probably mid-April. Because we got, like, he got a couple, like, sprinkling, like, maybe he'd go into a COVID patient room, like, once a week, and then it was, like, two times a week, and then, like, it gradually increased as uh, more cases started around my home. Yeah, that's, that's so crazy. So, your, through your dad's experience, that kind of, like, made it real for you. Mm-hmm. Um, was there, like, a lot of fear associated with that, that you were going to get COVID? How, how were you dealing with that? wouldn't say fear because um, both my parents have worked at the hospital for such a long time that like me and my siblings we know that there's always the possibility of something um, but my dad and my mom both took a lot of precautions uh, we had buckets out in the garage that he would strip and then he would like he had this funky like face shield Um, that he would like put in the buckets to be cleaned and he would strip as soon as he came in and like run straight up to the shower. Um, And for the first couple of weeks, it was like a little nerve wracking, but then it was was just kind of like a new normal. How did that feel in school at the time? How did that process of kind of being on break and then not going go for you? it was weird because when we left we all kind of were you know anticipated just to be like a quick two weeks and then we would be back at school um but then the more like I found out from my dad and keep seeing on the news and everything that we were seeing COVID was real but it still didn't feel real because we hadn't been personally affected so we were still going to the stores without masks on and like all sorts of stuff because we didn't have any cases. Um, But definitely as a senior, I think it made it easier because our teachers were basically like, you know, you got a couple weeks left, just 
turn in what you got. Like it wasn't super stressful because our teachers were just like, there's no point in like really hammering anything because we were on the downslide anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I remember like just that feeling of, well, it's not in my area right now, so it's not as bad, right? Like I went mm-hmm. to I went to the mall, like a huge mall with my friend, and we don't wear masks because they said, remember at the beginning they um it was said that we didn't really need them, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I do remember that very vividly. And now it's like I was so stupid not going out without a mask. <laughs> yeah, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Correct. Very correct. Did you have a lot of senior things stripped away from you, like prom, graduation? So we did not get prom. Um, and we had, like, for me personally, I am on the swim team here at Susquehanna. And we were actually on the way to our senior, not our senior, but like our championship meet. Um, and that was kind of really disappointing for me because uh, we were driving on our way there when it was canceled because I have a really strong bond with my club team back at home. And I didn't really get that final meet with my family, essentially. And I'd had a lot of struggles throughout high school with my swimming career. And I was finally like in a good place. And I was excited to see like where my times were going to be and like how I was going to be able to move on going forward. And that was canceled. Um, and we didn't really get a makeup, um, obviously (laughs) due to reasons of COVID, um, prom, we had prom canceled. We were lucky enough to get a graduation, but it wasn't like a typical graduation. We were in like a giant football stadium and it was basically like you walk, get your diploma and then like leave. That was about it. So I, I can't even imagine that. That's just such a, such a big loss. Yeah. And especially it was like canceled pretty much as like the last possible minute. Uh, Cause there had been like a bunch of meetings, like the le- week leading up and our coach was like, we're going to have it. Like, this is for sure. Like you're in chlorinated water. Like it's fine. And then we were driving there and they, they canceled it um, pretty much two hours before warmups were scheduled for that night. So there was people already up um, at the pool when they canceled. So that was definitely very disappointing. Yeah, I bet. Did it feel like that a lot? Like you were just kind of being, you weren't being strung along because everybody was trying to make it happen. Like they weren't lying to you, but still there was just so much hope and it didn't happen. Did it feel like that a lot with the um, kind of senior events and pre-college events for you? Um, yes and no. I mean, in the beginning, I would definitely say yes, especially when things were um, really uncertain. Towards like the beginning, more of freshman year of college, um, things were being stripped away, but I was definitely doing what they could to give us almost like a normal freshman year. Normal is not the right word, but give us some experiences um and then we had more information about COVID and we knew what was happening so um it definitely it got better yeah that leads me into my next question kind of um how does your current college experience differ from what you expected in terms of changes made by the pandemic so pretty much everything 
was completely different. I mean, everyone always tells you like college is this amazing experience where you can, you, you find yourself basically, and you really don't understand college until you go to college. But anything that I was anticipating or expecting to happen, basically like had to wipe the slate clean, like everything was different. Um, especially like swimming, I've swam my whole life, not being able to have like the one thing that's always been constant in my life and not being able to do that consistently, that definitely uh, sucked a lot, um, especially like the, the start and stop of the swim program and not just swim, but athletics in general. Uh, definitely took some getting used to going to class with masks on and the hybrid model. I personally, whenever we've taken standardized tests in high school, like I always hated when they were online. Um, I always, I'm a paper and pencil girl all the way. And I definitely had an adjustment going just from the test online, but to actually having to take classes online. Um, and I can't wait to get back in person for everything. But it definitely just, everything was completely different. Nothing was as you would expect. And we just had to make this change, like, on the drop of a dime and figure figure it out. Because no one, there wasn't really anyone we could ask for advice or how to get through this because no one really had experienced it before. Yeah, that's like, kudos to you for getting through that. And I, you're on campus this You've been on campus for both semesters, I assume. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, during my first year, I remember I was so anxious and like, you can ask people, right? You can ask, how was this? What can I expect? But you can't ask anybody about that. And that's, that's gotta be so rough. So kudos to you and all of the other first years at Susquehanna that are where you are right now. Like, I really can't believe it. I also haven't seen a lot of first years on campus, so I'm convinced mm-hmm. they're not real, except for you. <laughs> <laughs> you seem real. <laughs> yeah. No, it definitely, my biggest fear was like in the weeks leading up to our first week on campus, I was afraid that we were going to get like sent all online because I wanted to go away from home as like much as possible. And when we were sent home early last semester, like that was really devastating because I really was starting like to get the hang of things with COVID and like being on campus and then like we got sent home so it was kind of like another one of those you gotta flip on a dime again because you were just like starting to get in the hang of like being a freshman in college during COVID and then we got sent home but this semester has definitely been a lot better I think I finally gotten the hang of it here at the last (laughs) last couple weeks. How has it been meeting people as a freshman during the pandemic? I can imagine it's been really hard. Um, Yeah, it's definitely been difficult. Um, I had, I don't know what to say the luxury, but um, that's the only word that I can think of right now of living in Reed where everyone's like more of a close knit community. So it's been like easier to meet people because of that. But as for like classes and stuff, I like don't know unless like I know them from before I don't know anyone in any of my classes like we don't really talk after class like we don't do much because I feel like you know everything's with you know you got the occupancy limit and wearing the mask it is kind of almost not scary to meet new people but it almost like deters you from like getting to know and meet new people um but I definitely say I've gotten really 
close with a handful of people on campus. And I definitely think COVID has helped with that, I guess, in a way, because as freshmen, we're all trying to figure out the same thing. So it kind of brings us together more because we're going through uh, the same hardship. That's really interesting. I don't think I thought of it that way. And I really appreciate that, like that insight right there. Was there a moment that you knew everything was going to be okay? Um, Yeah, actually, it's been kind of the most recent couple of weeks, um, especially around campus, seeing like rules lighten up and stuff. And I actually just signed up to get my vaccine on Monday. So that's super exciting. Um, Everyone, I've seen a lot of people on campus being vaccinated and seeing that there's like next semester, we're supposed to go back to like the old normal and like the world's like starting to open up again because of the vaccine. And I'm so excited to you know be able to go out and concerts that's like my big thing I can't wait to go back to concerts um so yeah definitely these past couple weeks have made me feel like it's gonna be okay and we're get we're like we're like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel right now I know live music is my favorite thing it (laughs) is my favorite thing I think it's like one of like live music is one of those experiences in life that like really makes you feel alive. So it's interesting mm-hmm. how spring is coming. Like there is a, definitely a feeling of being alive in the air, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate after this year. I'm glad to hear that you kind of have that feeling. It makes me really happy to see. <laughs> ability that humans have to adapt is such a wonderful thing and I think Aaron's story really showcases the core of all that graduates have had to overcome that graduates have really had to put aside their fears and all of these unknowns and persevere through new um new opportunity and new beginnings not only because of the future that they have set ahead of them, but also because of the pandemic and all the changes that means to the future they've looked forward to for so long. So thanks for coming on, Erin. You are listening to me slash us slash you. I'm Gabby Rubino, and today I'd like you to consider the pandemic from maybe a different perspective than you already have. For many of us, the moment that we knew that COVID-19 was maybe going to stick around for longer than we expected or might be more serious than we anticipated revolved around the interruption of our day-to-day activities, like you have to wear a mask to the grocery store, or surprise, you go to school from home now. And many of us, I don't think, realized that having that moment to process everything that was going on was actually quite a luxury, and for many people around the world, they didn't get that moment. I mean, for people that experienced and unexpected loss, for example, their whole worlds were turned upside down. And that is the same for scientists and healthcare providers that basically just had to put down whatever they were doing and be superheroes. 
And that is the case for my guest today, um, Dr. Nilcha von Doramalen. She is a virologist at Rocky Mountain Labs in Montana, and she works for the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases here in the United States. And she didn't exactly have a moment that she knew. There seemed to be a moment and then do. For me, at the end of December, I started realizing something was going on in uh, China and I figured it out via Twitter because there's a lot of scientists on Twitter that started talking about it. And then it was January 9 that we realized there was a coronavirus and then January 10, the sequence was released. So I looked at that that Friday evening, I sat at home with my laptop and just compared it to other viruses like a lot of other virologists did as well. And at that point, because it looked quite a bit like SARS-1, I already started to think, okay, this could be this could be big. So then I went to the UK. I had a work visit there at the Jenner Institute who have developed the AstraZeneca vaccine. And we were checking every day the case numbers. But I think for me, when it really became a little bit like, okay, this is going to get worse than what I thought it would be, was when we got the first cases in Europe and the US, and then it started growing and growing and growing. But I keep on like, every time I look back at it, I never would have predicted this. Even in like February, I was like, oh, this could be big, but not as big as it got. It was... Theoretically, you think that this can happen, but to actually see it happen is, um, yeah, different. Oh, so many of us were blindsided by this pandemic. I think hearing you as a virologist say that not even you could have predicted the severity makes me feel a little bit better, honestly. But before the pandemic, you were working on studies with the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, right? That's correct. So did you have to just completely set that aside and focus on SARS-2 then? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we weren't really allowed to work on anything else at that point. But um, it kind of was an easy transition for me. So we, I've been working on MERS-CoV since 2013 when I first started working with Vincent Munster. And one of the things that we worked on, which that work started in 2017, was a vaccine against MERS-CoV. And that was in collaboration with the Jenner Institute with uh, Dr. Sarah Gilbert and, and Tess Lam. And uh, they developed a vaccine called the Chadox-1 MERS. So we tested that first in mice and then we took it to non-human primates and showed that it worked really well, actually. So then when uh, we realized that SARS-2 was a coronavirus as well, they made a vaccine based on their original MERS vaccine. And I just copied the study that I did previously and repeated that. So for me, it wasn't necessarily that much of a switch. It was just a different virus that you're working with. But because I've been working with coronavirus for such a long time, it was pretty easy to do that um, shift. Well, that's good, at least, that you didn't have to completely pivot if there were similarities between MERS and SARS-2. You got to replicate a few studies, but what about your work day? What did that look like in the beginning? Was it just complete chaos, a rush to complete these studies and figure things out for vaccine preparation? Or, I mean, I know even now when we were 
planning a time for this interview, you're still so busy. So I can't imagine what it was like in the beginning. It was it was quite crazy. It was really overwhelming. Um, especially because so the non-human primate study that we did looking at that vaccine, um, Oxford University really wanted to see those results before they were wanting to vaccinate the first volunteer, because one of the fears would be that um, you would get immune enhanced disease uh, from vaccination, which means that people that are vaccinated get a disease that's much worse than without a vaccination. So they really wanted to ensure that we at least didn't see that in non-human primates. So we had to perform the study as quickly as we possibly could and provide like reliable and good results. So um, we got the vaccine. I think we vaccinated our animals in March and I reported back to Oxford University mid-April and they vaccinated their first volunteer the very next day. So there was a lot of pressure on us to get those uh, results out. Um, I actually really enjoyed that because I never, before Middle East Respiratory Syndrome coronavirus, although it's very important, it's kind of obscure in a way that a lot of people in the States have never even heard of it. So now my work was being pulled more into, uh, you know, the public section, which is really, really cool, um, but different, lots of pressure. I think nowadays, I think I'm either more used to it or we just kind of found a good rhythm. We have a lot of support from other people. So nowadays, a lot of my work is actually just being in the office instead of being in a lab and doing all the work. Um, so it's calmed down a little bit. And I think that's needed as well, because um, I don't think we can expect people to work. Like, I think I was working easily 12, 16 hours. I would get phone calls at 11 in the evening asking questions, etc. And I can't work like that the rest of my life. I, I can't focus anymore. No, I can only imagine. I was when I was talking to my peers about this interview and we we're considering the workload that all the researchers across the world basically were doing and the pressure that you all were under, we were thinking about how we're complaining that we don't get a spring break this semester. <laughs> and <laughs> that week that we have a break, we can't even imagine the pressure that you've all been under. So, I mean, right. we appreciate it. We really yeah. do. I think I was, I think it was April or May where I calculated that I had my second day off that year. And that includes all the weekend. I didn't have a single weekend day off. So, and that was kind of the point that I was like, maybe I need to like take a step back and try to give myself wow, some rest yeah, as well. Yeah, that is impressive. Definitely days off well-deserved. But I don't think a lot of people consider it. I mean, we're complaining about being locked in the house, but... There are some people that never even saw their houses. So, yeah, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's fantastic what the scientific community has been able to do in such a short time. So it is definitely worth it. I wouldn't change it for the world. Wow, yeah, that's something I hadn't considered. But I guess you're right. We got a lot of scientific advancements and study results like the vaccine in such a limited time because it was so needed and well-funded, I guess, at this point. But another question I had was, what would you tell people who are maybe hesitant about getting the vaccine because it all happened so fast and maybe they're worried that the research 
was too rushed or maybe they're just worried about side effects that are unknown, things like that. Yeah, I understand where those concerns are coming from because you are right, it's much faster than we've ever been able to do, but we haven't cut any corners. So because scientists have been working so insanely hard, we are able to do the same work that we would normally take years to do. So that means that normally, so so it's quite a financial commitment to make these vaccines. So um, now government stepped in and said that they would cover part of those costs. So that really helped out and uh, people were overlaying different phases. So you could do certain things at the same time that you normally wouldn't do because you wanted to make sure that the vaccine was working before you would go to the next step and the next step. So that really allowed us to do everything much faster. And then on top of that, because SARS-CoV-2 was spreading like wildfire, when you're doing the clinical trials, the phase three clinical trials, a lot of people were getting infected all the time. So that allows you to look at the results and actually draw a conclusion um, uh, from those phase three clinical trials. And if you have a virus that doesn't spread as well, it takes much longer to get to that number of infections that you would require to know whether the vaccine is working or not. Well, I am very pumped about getting my vaccine. I am on a wait list for it. Hope it happens soon. But if I wasn't already sold on the idea, I would be sold after that. I think you made some really good points. I also wanted to ask you because you are a virologist, so I'm sure whether it's family members, friends, people on the internet, I'm sure they're asking you a ton of questions. Um, Are there any questions that you wish they'd ask or consider that they don't? Yeah, so my initial work was done on the stability of uh, SARS-2, so I got a lot of questions on that, mostly people asking, you know, if they went grocery shopping, what should they do, should they clean up all their products, etc., And now most of the questions I get are about vaccines and whether they are safe and whether I have taken a vaccine and how they work, et cetera. Um, And all of those questions are really, really good. Um, I think it's actually fascinating how involved uh, non-scientists are and how good the questions are that they are asking. My favorite subject um, is always the next pandemic and thinking about what could happen Uh, There are actually people that are asking me about that as well, which I really, really enjoy. But that's just a hypothetical discussion, which I'm hoping to keep that way for a long time, but we'll see. Oh, I can't even imagine that. Another pandemic. Let's hope that isn't anytime soon. But I guess we have to consider where this one came from. Do you think the way that we're interacting with our environment could have anything to do with future viruses popping up? Yeah, so I think one of the things that we um, as humans are doing more and more is intersecting with different wildlife. um, And that increases the chances of encountering a virus that is able to transmit between humans. So I think if we don't reduce our contact with wildlife, I think it's highly likely that we will have another pandemic. Um, I don't know when that will happen or um, if that's going to happen within our lifetimes. I honestly hope it won't, um, but I think it's likely that it will, if that makes sense. That is definitely a scary thing to consider. I don't know if we're all ready to consider that hypothetical, but we might need to get to be because it's a very real situation that 
like you said, could and probably will happen again in our lifetime. So how do we be more prepared next time? You know, I guess we'll see. But to leave on a more hopeful note, was there a moment, rather than the moment you knew, was there a moment that you had hope that we were going to get through this? Yeah, yeah. So for me, the first like little sparkle of hope was when I saw the results of our non-human primate study in which we showed that the vaccine worked really well against lower respiratory tract um, infection. So the, the pneumonia, basically. That, that was really exciting. And then I think the biggest hope moment for me was when Pfizer published their phase three clinical trial data because they had, I can't remember the exact percentage, it's like 94%. And efficacy, which is so much higher than I expected. And that really was encouraging to hear. And then, of course, Moderna came out with very similar results. And for me, that like that started, that's the signal of that we will be able to end this. So I am hopeful that with vaccinations, we are going to be able to have a normal life again. Yeah, I think the vaccine is definitely a sparkle of hope for many of us. That's definitely a sign that we can maybe get back to normal soon. So, fingers crossed, everything works out. But thank you again for coming to talk to me. I'm really excited about this, and I hope our listeners, well, I know our listeners definitely learned a thing or two that maybe they didn't know before. So, thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much. I remember ordering that in French, trying my hardest to get the brunch special at the Parisian cafe that we were at and looking at my friend Vito very expectantly to see if any of what I had said even remotely sounded like words. We all had a good laugh over how terrible some of our French was, but we were trying, so A for effort. And then all of a sudden, all of our phones rang at the same time, very ominously. And University siblings, 21-year-old Dominique and 20-year-old Vito Qualia, and their childhood friend Susquehanna University junior Gabriella Rubino, leaving Italy midway through their study abroad program was not part of the plan. We're sad. Absolutely heartbroken. Sad, yeah. The three Pittston, Pennsylvania natives are on spring break in Paris, France. Due to the coronavirus outbreak, it's closing its in-person academic operations in Rome for the remainder of the spring semester. All 50-plus students living on the Rome campus must now pack their belongings and head home. So we all looked down at our phones and saw the email that we had to leave as soon as possible, and I just remember us all looking at each other and just bursting into tears. Our waiter was very confused, but we were devastated. It was really sad. We decided to go out with a bang and spend the money that we had saved for the rest of the at least month and a half that we had expected to be there and go to Disneyland Paris. 
so we did. And it was magical and definitely the last time I've been around any large number of people or amount of people in general without a mask on. And it was very, very interesting. It felt like the pandemic didn't exist because I guess at that point it was just quartered to China and Italy. So we got lucky. But then we came back to the hotel room and packed frantically. I've never packed that fast in my life. And our main worry wasn't that we were going to get COVID or like we weren't very scared of the pandemic. I think a lot of people had it in our heads that the United States was going to quarantine us for weeks in a hospital away from our family or something. And that was what we were most concerned about was that we were going to have trouble getting back into the United States. But two days later, I was packing my bags to go home. And the day after that, I arrived. There was nothing at the airport. There were no checks. They didn't even take our temperature in New Jersey when I landed. And before I knew it, I was already snuggled up in my bed at home. And it felt like the whole thing had been a dream or rather a nightmare. But many people assume that the moment that I really felt the effects of COVID and knew that it might be more serious than we expected was when I was in Rome, but I remember having friends tell me that they were wearing masks to go home in the airports in Rome to New Jersey, and it just sounded like the most ridiculous thing to me. I think that my main focus was just to find a way back to the United States and I would kind of deal with the rest later. From that point on, I spent most of my time mourning the rest of my study abroad experience that I did not get to have. And selfishly, I think the pandemic felt like it was only happening to me for a little bit. You know, I felt like my friends and I had our whole world upside down and then slowly I was hearing from different programs all around the world. My roommate from Susquehanna was in Australia and soon she was coming home as well and it seemed like wherever there was a Susquehanna student, the pandemic was spreading and we were all eventually home. And then sooner than later the pandemic was home and it went from something that I thought had just kind of ruined a trip for me to this is our everyday now. And I think a month later after I had come home was the moment that I knew, wow, we had been in lockdown in the United States for around two weeks now, and this doesn't seem to be letting up. That was my process. It went from, woe is me, this is something that just affected my friends who won't be able to get this beautiful cross-cultural experience anymore to, wow, this is an international problem. And now not only do I have to worry about the people that I met from all over the world, but the pandemic is now closer to home than I ever thought it was going to be. But here we are more than a year later and people are getting vaccinated. And I think the moment that I started to get hope again was when my family members were able to get the vaccine and I didn't have to worry about them so much. Now I'm on a wait list to get the vaccine. We've come a long way, but 
I think we'll be okay. I can't wait to go back to Italy one day and finish what I started. The moment I started to have hope. When Biden was elected. Definitely the vaccines getting tested and then getting approved. As a nurse was when we disassembled our pandemic treatment tents. When my grandmother got the vaccine. Knowing that we finally had a president who was going to take this seriously. Biden's push to make it more available. It's like, so by this point, pretty much every person over 18 in Pennsylvania can get the vaccine right now. The hospitals were so overrun with patients, there were lines out the doors. So we had to expand our treatment areas in the form of tents. The day we took them down, there were lots of tears of relief and we all knew there was hope at that moment. Me Us You is produced by students at Susquehanna University. We are gratefully advised by Dr. Heather Lang. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by Julie Haney and Gabby Rubino. Special thanks to our editorial intern, Nicole Frank, and to our interviewees, Reva, Aaron, Dr. Nilcha Van Dormalen, Kayla, Sid, Corey, and Amy. Another thank you to Ken from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease for getting me in contact with Dr. Van Dormalen. Our theme music is Night Owl by Broke for Free. Other music featured in this episode is Tada by Siddhartha Corsus. Sound effects and other instrumentals from this episode were provided by zapsplat.com. An audio clip in this episode was also featured from Shantae Lands at CBS3 Philadelphia. To hear the rest of Me, Us, You Season 2, check us out at me-us-u.org or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.